Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network. Today's guests are Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News and Harold Shelton of Big Ten Network. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! All right, starting off here, we got Mike DeCourcy, like I mentioned at the top. He's been on the show several times. Always a great interview, always in-depth and thorough in his evaluations of Big Ten and college hoops. So wanted to get him on as the college basketball season is about to tip off here today, Wednesday, November 25th. Um, and got a ton of hoops coming at you to overlap with our football season, which we do talk football with Harold Shelton, BTN's manager of research, uh, later in the show. But let's start it off with Mike DeCourcy. Likely know him if you watch Big Ten Network. He's an analyst for us as well. And like I said, knows his college hoops. So let's get into it. Very pleased to be rejoined by Mike DeCourcy of the Sporting News, Big Ten Network. Uh, I have him on pretty much every year, I think, now to talk preseason Big Ten Hoops, preseason college basketball, and of course you can follow him on Twitter at TSN Mike. Mike, welcome back. It's a fun time of year. It is, Alex. You know, usually when we do this, we're getting together after we've all gotten together at Big Ten Media Day, and that's a day I always enjoy. It's such a fun day to get together with all the, the basketball people from around the league and see the players. It's always been a delight, and it really gets you back into the swing. And obviously, the, the, this this year we didn't do that, and and the swing is a little different. But I'm I'm looking forward to the fact that we're going to have college basketball. I I think it's the right thing to do relative to uh, the alternatives. I, I I don't agree with uh, with some of the suggestions of people about delaying the season. I don't think they're taking everything into account. And so I'm really looking forward to, to the Thanksgiving week, the start of the season. There are going to be disruptions. It's not going to be easy, but I think we can have a successful season and, and I'm looking forward to it. Likewise, I agree. I'm glad you brought that up though, about the benchmark kind of being uh, basketball media day. And usually we're kind of like the unofficial red carpet fashion police. So, you know, media day is one thing that kind of, sets the the pace for our off season and eases us into the normal basketball calendar. What else have you kind of missed, you know, with this non-traditional off season? Cause, cause as somebody who follows it even less closely than you, you know, you, you are such a hoop head um, and I'm still focused on football. It seems like I'm just being thrown right into the deep end here. So what do you, what do you miss uh, on top of media day as we sit here in late November? Well, the, the opportunity to go out and see some teams practice, to really connect with what they're up to, what they're doing, and to just sort of get the basketball flowing through your blood again. And, and even if you want to go back to the summer, the chance to, to go to the camps, uh, the, the, the Peach Jam or wherever, uh, and, and go and hang out with some basketball people and 
sit crammed together next to next to people on little uh, folding chairs and watch uh, watch the next generation of basketball prospects. That was all gone this year. So there's so much that's different. It's one of the reasons why I I think it's something. I, I think one of the things that the delay of the Big Ten football season start us uh, taught us uh, is how important this really is to the athletes. I hear so much cynicism about this, but I, I saw how the athletes reacted to uh, the withdrawal of the season or postponement, however you want to look at it. And then I spoke to Wyatt Davis and I spoke to Sean Wade after the season was restored and they said, okay, I'm back in, I'm playing. And, and what it meant to them. And you can see that now pretty much every Saturday, how much it means to them to be a part of that team at Ohio State. And I, I, I really respect that. And I, I have no doubt that that carries over into basketball. I haven't spoken to Luca Garza since he made his announcement. Uh, they had a conference call the day he made his decision to, to withdraw from the NBA draft and, and come back to college. But that, on that day, he came back because he, he wasn't, I mean, there, there was no signed contract in blood that there was going to be a season, but he came back under the understanding there was going to be a season. He can be making a lot of money right now. Not, you know, not in the NBA necessarily. He could be doing that, perhaps. But he could have signed a contract in Europe for uh, easily into six figures and chose, no, I, I want to be with the Hawkeyes. This is important to me. I want to be a part of this team. I want to lead this team to something special, to something that hasn't happened at Iowa for a very long time. And I'm capable of doing that. And I think that I'm not saying that you owe him a season at all costs, but I'm saying you owe him the best chance to have a season. And I, I really believe that what the NCAA has done in conjunction with the various conferences is the most likely to produce that outcome. It, there, there's a lot of discussion about, well, there's no plan. And, and it, look, there are 353 division one teams. There are 32 conferences. They all have different approaches, different standards, different resources. It, it, there, there's, to, to expect that to operate in the same way that the National Football League does is preposterous. It's, it's, a, it's a ludicrous conceit. What they're trying to do is provide a framework for all those 353 schools and 32 conferences to try to construct a regular season that will produce a field of 68 teams that can compete in an NCAA tournament. And I, I think that they've presented a, a reasonable framework to do that. And it's up to the schools then to go about trying to construct a season in that. And some, some schools we've seen have been very certain, you know, they've been very much focused on, well, we have a young team, so we're going to play uh, lots of, you know, low major teams. And then when the low major teams have issues, all of a sudden people, how, how could you have anticipated that? Well, you know, the big timers are testing every day. Others are not. So you, you've decided to go down this road. And if that's the road you're going to go down, you're, go, you're going to have potentially more disruptions or you're gonna have different uh, protocols relative to your competition that maybe don't match up as well. I, I've been a little disappointed in the way the coaches have approached scheduling through all of this. I had a conversation with Mick Cronin from UCLA probably about a month ago, six weeks ago, in which he said, look, my colleagues are not getting this right. It, what we should be doing is 
with everything that happened last March and everything that's possibly going to happen this winter, we should be doing everything we can to give these guys an experience a, and, and, and to play games that they're going to enjoy playing in and to not worry about, well, maybe I'll, if I lose one game to a big time team early on, I won't make the NCAA tournament or something like that. So I need to, uh, you know, uh, brush up with a couple of, uh, of, of lightweights or something like that. He said, look, you got to play good teams. And when they're turning fell apart uh, in, in uh, Orlando because of COVID protocols, the ESPN pulled out, decided not to, to stage the tournaments that they own because they were concerned about liability and that sort of thing. So what did, they, what did UCLA do? They, they called up San Diego State, which was a, a, one of the five best teams in America last year. and said, hey, you want to play? And they're going to play. That's, that, I think we should have more of that in college basketball this season than we probably will. But I know this. Gonzaga's doing it. Kansas is doing it. UCLA, we're seeing it in the Big Ten. It, there, there are going to be good games. There are going to be games. And we can't just focus on the fact that are going to be disruptions and there are are already disruptions yeah i i often find myself agreeing with your perspectives when you defend the college experience and kind of uh go against the cynicism a little bit because you know for every jalen green or Lamelo ball who either go overseas or go to the the g league path there are dozens if not more players who do find value and and find uh meaning in this college experience, right? There, there's teams they're committed to, fan bases they're attached to, and the payoff that could come back around down the road. You know, I, I'm as pro player as anybody, but I think people too easily discount the value. Look, I, I was at the college football playoff last year, uh, roaming around. We were trying to find good social content around the games and Ohio State fans. And Braxton Miller and Johnny Dixon are at, you know, the club in downtown Scottsdale being paid to be there because Ohio State fans want to be around them. And that's something I think that people discount too easily uh, surrounding the college experience. So I'm got off on a little tangent here, but I'm glad you brought that up. And speaking of, uh, you know, value around all of college athletics, I found it interesting, not only uh, in the sense of, of scheduling convenience, but found it interesting that Indy, is potentially going to reap the benefit of the entire NCAA tournament being held in that region. You know, they've lost out in a lot, as, as you know, being an indie guy with the NBA All-Star Game and the Big Ten Tournament last year. And now the Final Four probably going to be a, a shell of what it usually is in Indy. So what are your thoughts on the tournament being held most likely in Indiana, in the Indianapolis area? Uh, you know, it's a nice make good for the region, like I said, and probably in a place that is just as well-equipped anywhere outside of Orlando or Vegas to hold this type of event. So uh, how do you feel about the tournament kind of coming to your backyard? Yeah, I think one of the things, Alex, that people who, who are decrying this particular decision or critiquing it are missing is that the, the, the people who run the NCAA championships are tremendous at what they do. The, the NCAA tournament every year, uh, go, uh, with the exception of 2020, goes off like like a clock it, it is always right on time it is always ideal and the experience for the players is terrific and the experience for the fans is terrific and 
It, that's because the planning and, they, and, the, and the institutional knowledge that goes into it at, with the NCAA staff is tremendous. And I, I really honestly believe it for some reason, you had to say, okay, the 14 cities you had planned for this year's NCAA tournament are all off the, are, are now illegal to hold the tournament in. You have to find 14 new cities. I think they could turn that around in a snap. I think they absolutely, it, everything else is the same as ordinary, except you can't go to the 14 cities, cities you'd chosen. You have to find 14 new ones and do it in four months. I think they could do that with, you know, they're so good at it, they could do it. But what they have to do instead is to create an entirely new experience, an entirely new set of standards, an entirely new set of protocols, all with the pandemic looking over their shoulders. And I, I, I don't think that people are appreciating the challenge that that is for the staff. And being able to, the only bit of serendipity, so to speak, that there's been for the NCAA over the course of the last 11 months or so, is that the Final Four was already planned for here in Indianapolis. So that's a plus for them because they don't have to find another place to hold that. That's where they're already going to be. And then, or they, it, so then you build around that to perhaps other arenas in town, Bankers Life Fieldhouse, where the Big Ten tournament's been on many occasions, Hinkle Fieldhouse, where Butler plays their home games, perhaps the State Fair Coliseum, uh, where IUPUI plays, perhaps go to a couple of Big Ten schools and see if they are willing to uh, loan out or rent out their arenas in Mackey and, and Assembly Hall, perhaps. Uh, I, they, I think those are all possibilities. Uh, they're probably going to need more than what is available within the city of Indianapolis. And so they, they can do all that. And what they can, what, it, the, when they face an obstacle or some sort of challenge that needs to be resolved and probably will be more easily resolved in person, instead of having to get on a plane and go to Spokane or go to Fresno or, or Long Beach or wherever, just get in a car and drive to Bloomington or drive to West Lafayette or drive right down the street 50 blocks to Banker's Life. They don't, that's, that's going to help them solve the challenges that they face. I know that they're going to be able to pull this off because like I said, they're really good at what they do and the facilities are in the area to be able to pull it off. But think about it in your own head. How do you how do you schedule that all out when you only have, you know, eight to 10 arenas available to you or whatever it is? And there's the complication, and Dan Gavitt talked about this in a conference call with uh, those of us who cover college basketball nationally about a week ago. He said that unlike the typical tournament atmosphere, which we've seen at the Big Ten tournament, we've seen at numerous NCAAs, where somebody, let's say it's, a, it's the Big Ten tournament and Rutgers beats Michigan and Rutgers is excited. I want to use that game because that was the game that was going to be scheduled. That was the one that was shut down just when we showed up at Bankers Life last year for the, for the uh, second round. So Michigan, Rutgers beats Michigan. Rutgers celebrates a little, you know, uh, uh, Mike or Rick interviews, uh, the, let's say Geo Baker and, uh, and, and they're all excited. But while they're doing all that, they put 29, 30 minutes up on the scoreboard clock and here comes Illinois and Iowa or whoever. And you can't do that now. You have to, that the, the NCAA is saying they're going to, you know, based, 
shut it down, but you know, everybody's going to leave and they're going to bring in the, the cleaning crew and the sanitation and the sanitizing or whatever. And then they're going to be able to play. And, and I don't know how much they didn't say, and they probably haven't figured it out yet, how much time needs to be in between games at a particular site. But I don't think you're going to be able to do a four game day uh, in, in any particular site next year. If they do, they're probably going to have to start. They would have to start it at maybe 8 a.m. and finish at midnight. So I, don't, I, I think they're going to have different components like that to the planning process that they're going to have to keep resolving. And those are things that people aren't taking into account when they criticize the decision to bring it all to Indianapolis uh, or they criticize uh, to play the tournament more or less as scheduled in March, April. Yeah, and we got a long way to go before we get there. I'm, I'm looking forward to see how it turns out. Um, and I do want to get into some Big Ten prognostications with you, Mike, because start on Wednesday. That's when this episode drops, so we don't have a lot of uh, turnaround time. People are going to be listening and then getting ready for the games uh, on the same day. So got a lot of talented teams and a balanced deep conference once again in the Big Ten this year. And I want to start at the top. And instead of going team by team, I want to do a little thought exercise with you. Um, if one of these teams has to go from the, the top four of the Big Ten, I need you to let me know which one maybe doesn't belong out of Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois, and Michigan State. Those are kind of the tiers that I've seen from the national media and certain polls, um, certain preseason rankings. And in every different iteration, I see fans chirping you know, where I live on social media saying either they belong or this team doesn't belong. Michigan State fans, I think, feel a little slighted because often they are not elevated to that tier this year with what they were losing and, and guys we just saw go last week in the, the NBA draft. So out of those four teams, who do you think maybe would fall to that second tier and who belongs uh, near the top in contention for a Big Ten title this year? Well, what's interesting about that is I think the first three that you mentioned are the most solid. They and, and, and when I say most solid, I think Rutgers is rock solid, but I just don't think their ceiling is as high as those first three. Uh, so Michigan, what's what's interesting about Michigan State in that quartet is that they have way more questions than the other three and way less certainty. But they also probably have a higher ceiling than any of them. Uh, maybe Illinois has a higher ceiling if, if the freshmen come in and are great. And if Io comes in and starts to make shots. Iodesumu starts to make shots. They they can probably match ceilings, or if if Iowa could suddenly defend like a top thirty five defense, and I, I think they got better last year. They got a lot better, but that's a, it's a long trip from ninety fifth to thirtieth or thirty fifth. They can find a way to do it. Uh, they are elite. They. That's, that's why the preseason is, you know, you, you ha have things that you think in the preseason that maybe don't pan out exactly right. But what I'm, what I'm getting to is that Michigan State, if everything goes right, I think that they can be better than all those teams. It's just a, a lot to ask so many different variables to all come to exact perfection or, exact, or exactly ideal that, 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 that the point guard figures itself out in a way that, uh, I mean, you're going from a superstar point guard who was the definition of your program for two years and, and, a, and a terrific leader for three 
you're going from that to what are we going to do? Uh, you go from a, a, a absolute rock solid double double contender in Xavier Tillman to a lot of really talented guys who haven't been haven't been proven. You go you 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 look at a guy like Aaron Henry, who I've been looking at as a potential pro for from the minute we first saw him on BTN, but still has to say, okay, I'm that guy. So that's a lot of questions. So that's why for me, they're top 15, uh, top 10, that they would be the shakiest of that group. But again, I, I really do think that they have a very high ceiling. And I, if I'm a Michigan State fan, I'm not worried about what, whether the national media has me uh, ranked in the top 10. I'm worried about can, can all those questions get answered with exclamation points? And they could. They got one of the best coaches in the history of the game. And a who, who, by the way, who has a tradition of when things are absolutely dead solid great going into the year, sometimes they don't go as well. But when they have talent and questions, he always seems to find the answers. So I think Michigan State's in a very nice position at this point. All right. So what about that next tier, Mike? You got Rutgers, like you mentioned. Michigan is uh, very intriguing. Indiana and Purdue, maybe Ohio State or Minnesota. There's going to be, I think, a lot of teams kind of in that that nine to four or five uh, range in the Big Ten this year. So who do you think in tier two, unofficial tier two, is you know maybe one or two teams that could make some noise? Well, you know, the first team that I look at in that group is Michigan because they've got two, two guys who can be superstars on the wing in Isaiah Livers and Franz Wagner. And they, much like Michigan State, lost their point in their post. And so can you rebuild those two positions with such great options on the wing? And they've added talent on the wing as well, in addition to those two guys who are going to be great. They brought in uh, the transfer from Wake Forest, uh, Shonday Brown. So uh, that's that makes them even more dynamic. But those those two positions are the core of just about any basketball team. And so can you can can Eli Brooks be a big time Big Ten point guard? Get the ball where it needs to go, make the shot when it comes back to you. We know he can make the shot. Can he get the ball where it needs to go? Can he get by people if he needs to? Can he stop people? Remember, Xavier Simpson was as good as anybody's ever been at that. Uh, so those are those are the questions I have about Michigan, but I, I like I like having that foundation of two guys that I know can get me 20 and I know can make deep shots every night. Uh, Ohio State, a lot of solidity there. Where's the dynamism come from? You can probably win. You, know, you can probably win double figure games in this league or, or double figure games and have a winning record because double figure now is, is a 500 record. But you could probably have a you know, 11 and 9, 12 and 8 record being a great defensive team and that makes enough shots to win the, the kind of team that say West Virginia was in the big 12 last year. But if you want to compete with the best teams in the league, you have to have that scoring punch. And that's a question for the Buckeyes where that comes from with this group. I'm not saying they don't have it. I'm just saying that's the question that's out there. Rutgers, can they make shots? Cause they're, they're going to, they're going to grind you into the court. 
They're going to get the ball inside. They're going to get the ball to the rim. If they make enough deep shots, they're not that far from the top, from that top quartet we talked about. And Indiana, for me, the question is, how does the backcourt work? Uh, you bring in uh, Christian Lander and you, and you already have uh, a, a, a veteran point guard and Robert Finnessy. You play them both together. Who's in charge? Uh, how, you know, who, who's, who, 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 whose responsibility is what? Uh, who guards the other team's point guard? Uh, I, I would suppose that the answer to the last one would be fantasy, but sometimes uh, we get surprised. So if that works out, I think Indiana's in really good shape because they've got, you know, in Lander and Trace Jackson Davis, two outstanding talents. And so if, if, if Lander works out as a, as a high-level freshman and Trace makes the progress that we expect him to make uh, in terms of taking his game a little bit away from the goal, I think Indiana has, has terrific potential to, again, to chase that first quartet. I, I don't think that as good as those teams are, I don't think they're safe from just about anybody that we might talk about in that next group of five or six teams. So Mike, being our Indiana guy, our, our expert, sitting between sort of on the map, Bloomington and West Lafayette, um, who would you say, and you know, because you know these fan bases and their expectations, which fan base would you say, Indiana or Purdue, will be sitting in April more content, more happy, and pleased with their season? Hoosiers or Boilermakers? Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting question because if we're right about Indiana and they're you know, a top 30-ish team, which would be, let's just say that's where they wind up. And that, that's an eight or nine seed. Are they going to be happy with that? Uh, it's, it's certainly a step forward in terms of um, you know, last year, they were probably going to wind up as a 10-ish, depending obviously on what might've happened in Indianapolis. But I can't remember my last bracket and I haven't checked it in a while, but I think I, I know they were fighting to stay in uh, as we as we got to the Nebraska game, they certainly had to win that game. And I think my last bracket probably had them around a ten, which is you know basically last few teams in. You put them as a solid eight. You're still in an eight nine game, and you have to play a one seed in the second round. Would that be a happy experience for Indiana? They're a tough group to please. If Purdue turns it around and they make a step back toward being who they were, who they traditionally have been. I, I think Purdue fans, I'm not saying they're easier to please, but I think that there's a, I think there's a level of understanding among the core Purdue fans that, that Matt's terrific, that he's the guy they want to lead their program, uh, that he works there in West Lafayette and that it'll, it's in good hands. Well, I, there's still some skepticism about Arch. Uh, he walked into a, a more difficult situation than some in the fan base allowed or continue to allow. And he's trying to build it up by getting the best players in Indiana. They missed this fall on, on their key target in that regard, but they got the best player in the state three years running. Uh, so I, I think that they, they've, they're making a lot of progress. Maybe, you know, maybe they need to outperform an eight seed uh, in order to, to really show that you've come far. But I mean, goodness, when, when you look at the, the strength of this league, you could be terrific and wind up in that spot. And that's kind of what I'm predicting for Indiana. Terrific, but still struggling to make the top 25 because the league is so thin. 
there's going to be some serious star power player-wise in the Big Ten this year. you got your reigning Big Ten player of the year in Luka Garza. you got plenty of national player of the year attention. I would assume Mu is probably the biggest surprise return uh, of the offseason. I think the, the pandemic definitely played a factor there, but he has plenty to prove, and, and he was uh, on fire toward the end of last year. So those are the two guys right there off, off the top. Um, you have a few more candidates to make some serious uh, noise as well this season, but I'm just curious if you think Luca will reign and defend his title as Big Ten Player of the Year, or if Io DeSumo will take it, or if there's somebody we're not thinking about that I haven't named. Uh, you know, Kofi Coburn also returned at Illinois. There's there's plenty of good players in this league this year. Who do you think will walk away as the premier player in the Big Ten? It's hard for me to, to go against uh, Luca Garza. Remember, Sporting News was one of, I think, two or three publications that named him National Player of the Year. I, I have tons of respect for Obi Toppin. I thought he was, I thought he was terrific last year. But watching what Luca did against the army of tremendous big men that were in this league last year and having to go against them every night, just about every night, and continuing to produce at a ridiculous level, what he end with nine consecutive 20-point games or something like that on a team that needed that production to continue to, to, to be in games with such a deep conference. If, if they have the season that they're capable of having, I think that it, it, it's going to be hard for anybody not only to beat him out for conference player of the year, but for national player of the year. The thing about Luca is those of us who've observed him over his time and and Dave Revson from the from the network raves about Luca in in the in the regards of his work ethic and how when when he called the Indiana game last year in Bloomington at the end of the game Luca still had his energy tank on full when in what was a really draining game that 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 went back and forth and he just continued to beat people up the floor, to, you know, to get to his positions where he wanted to go. It, he is amazing in that way. So you can't see him saying, okay, I just, you know, I was sporting news national player of the year, that trophy or whatever, that award's going to look nice on my resume. That's good enough. I, he didn't come back for that. He came back to tear the whole place down and I fully expect him to do it. I, I don't know exactly what the numerical reflection of that will be uh, whether the numbers, scoring numbers will go up, the rebounding numbers will go up, but I expect him to be an even better player because he is becoming a better player. Uh, and so I, I, I'll be shocked if he's not uh, the Big Ten player of the year and would be fairly surprised if he weren't the national player. All right, Mike, last question. I cannot let you go without one, you know, making a final four prediction because I'm sure you're going to be there with in your backyard. I hope the pandemic has progressed enough in a positive direction where I can be there as well. Not hold my breath, but you know, we got to have some optimism here. So also need your national perspective because we haven't talked too much about uh, non big 10 teams or players yet. So what are some final four contenders? Who do you believe will end up in Indianapolis at the end of the year? Let's hear, uh, you know, your most on the spot prediction of the podcast to close it out here. Talk about tiers before in the Big Ten. I think that there's a tier as well nationally, and that the, that team is that that tier consists of three teams: Gonzaga uh, out west, Villanova out east, and Baylor in the southwest. Those are three teams that 
no matter where you go, Blue Ribbon, Lindy's Athlon, whoever's publishing, uh, CBS, uh, ESPN, whoever's doing a preseason top 25, I think you'll see those three in some order at one, two, three. I don't think you'll see too many teams that aren't those three in, in many projections that, that are out there. Uh, they're, they're pretty solidly a cut above entering the year. They brought a lot back from last season. They were all terrific a year ago. Villanova maybe not quite as good as the other two, uh, but only lost Sadiq Bay and continued to recruit at a high level. So that's, that's the tier. And then the question is, who's the fourth team? And it, that becomes really interesting. And you'll see different, you know, everybody else will have a different team. Uh, we put Kentucky in ours uh, Kentucky, because I, I like to bet on talent and, and John Calipari's experience with Kentucky's you know, rolling one and dones uh, has been pretty good. They've been in, I think, of the last 10 tournaments that we had, they were in the elite eight, seven times. So I expect they'll be pretty high, but then after you get past them, then it's, you know, it's, it's some combination of Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, at Kansas and Duke. And so that's three big 10 teams right there that are contenders for the final four. And like I said before, if everything goes right at Michigan state, they're good enough to do that. Uh, without a doubt in my mind. And, and we've seen Tom do it eight, eight times. Uh, so it wouldn't be a shock to see him do it again. Well, if you want a real scientific way um, to predict this, not only because I went to Illinois, but they go every 16 years at the final four, 1989, <laughs> 2005, 2021. So, wow. you know, not uh, just, just a little nugget for you there to throw into to an article or a prediction. Uh, you know, it's science. You can't really deny I that. like that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike, I appreciate you jumping on. Uh, a lot of fun, as always. I can't tell you how excited I am to get college basketball back. Like, football is great, but I think I'm a basketball guy at heart. You know how it is living in the Midwest, Indiana, Illinois. Uh, it's kind of in our blood. So, appreciate you jumping on and hope to see you in the studio and, and then down the road at the Final Four in Indy. Can't wait, Alex. Thank you. All right. Thanks again to Mike for joining me. Always great talking with him. Wanted to get Harold on as well. Coming up here, Harold Shelton, if you've not heard the show before, is the manager of research at BTN. And he's not only a numbers guy, he can speak his uh, stats onto the airwaves like he does here on the show. Very talented at that. Honestly, he should be getting paid to do his own show somewhere because uh, much like a, you know, like a Stanford Steve at ESPN or or this kind of trend of producers who find their way on air. Uh, Harold has definitely some talents that extend beyond the, uh, the page. So always appreciate him coming on out of the goodness of his heart to talk both football and basketball. And I'll be quiet and let Harold do his thing. It is Take 10 Podcast Discussion with Harold Shelton. It starts right now. All right, very pleased to be rejoined by... Harold Sheldon in this holiday week, busy week, so big props to you for hopping on, carving out some time. H, is this the most hectic Thanksgiving week you could remember, or did it all kind of blend together, pandemic or not? Uh, it's definitely busy. I'm, I don't know if it's the busiest. Um, I think it actually helps that um, I'm working from home. 
And so I get to save the commute time and, you know, the, the train time, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Cause that part was always had to trying to fight people, trying to get out in and out of the city and stuff like that. And you spend more time either waiting on the train or stuck on the highway, at least from home, I can just kind of lock in at my, my dining room table or my bed and just crank out a bunch of notes. And so it doesn't seem as bad because I save a little time that way. It's weird because with basketball starting up, we're being kind of tossed right in here. Usually we're settled in a couple weeks deep at this point. Um, but with it all starting up, you know, today, if you're listening to this on the day the episode drops, it's it's a lot to take in. Then football we got coming back on Friday. You know, you got family obligations, I'm sure, on Thursday. So just looking at, you know, from a Big Ten perspective, football this weekend doesn't seem to be that enticing. I'm glad we have hoops to kind of balance it out, um, give us something fresh. So are you looking more forward to basketball this weekend or uh, the the football slate we got ahead of us? Um, I think I'm still just in a football mode right now. So my, my mind is kind of locked on football. Um, I do think that Saturday will be interesting, uh, at least from my perspective, because you got Northwestern Michigan State football at 3.30 and then Michigan State basketball hosts Notre Dame at 8. So you kind of get the, the back-to-back action there. But uh, even though it's still you know, a, a slower slate on the football side, not as many enticing matchups. I think I'm still just so locked into football that that's where I'll be. And luckily, a lot of the games are spaced out. There's not a bunch of like overlapping windows, maybe a little bit in the noon, but, you know, you got Wisconsin at 2 Eastern and Michigan State, Northwestern at 3.30, Purdue Rutgers at 4. So stuff is uh, definitely spaced out, which, which helps. Yeah, and since we've talked – last it's been a couple of weeks and Northwestern has just completely legitimized themselves since the preview episode we did a month or so ago and then uh, the follow-up episode and we haven't talked that much about them but they are completely rock solid um, you know last year was an aberration clearly and they've got kind of that swagger back you know coach Fitz is talking the team has got that attitude kind of following after coach Fitz with the chip on their shoulder the underdog mentality you think Michigan State is a shot, or uh, you think Northwestern's going to kind of roll here now that they've got Wisconsin out of the way, their biggest hurdle to the path to Indy? Uh, I just think that Michigan State has such a hard time moving the football, and I think this is the worst possible matchup when you have a team that thrives on taking the ball away, facing a team that turns the ball over too much. Um, I think this Northwestern team is really, really interesting, and I do want to go on the record. Three weeks ago, I said Northwestern was the second best team in the Big Ten. This was after they beat Iowa. And this was, you know, right after Wisconsin, you know, had the big win in week one. Uh, this was right when, you know, Indiana was just kind of starting to figure stuff out and Penn State was still good. And I I, I got on that limb with, with, the, with the Cats. Uh, that defense is real. I think they're legit. I think Peyton Ramsey had has found a way to just kind of settle everything down. Like if he throws a pick, it's not a huge deal. A year ago, they turned it over. It seemed like things were snowball. So just kind of having that veteran presence, I think kind of stabilized everything and then allowed the defense to just go out and ball. Right. So I won't speak for you. You you did 
call the Northwestern resurgence quite a while ago. Um, you bought into the fight in Reese Davis's, huh? You, you knew. <laughs> Not, you had none of that Joey Galloway energy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I was all over the fight in Reese Davis's. Uh, and Reese, that's my guy. Uh, so I, I'm glad to see Northwestern fully bought into this, this thing as well. Um, not surprised that uh, Pat Fitzgerald thriving on disrespect. Um, he he always finds a way to to see who's talking about him and and, and channel it toward his team to get a little extra out of him. And so uh, we'll no, see. His, his email is hashtag I don't care. He doesn't. He stays off all that Twitter and stuff. So uh, that is what he told us. But then <laughs> at the same time, we get we get stuff like this. I want to say he called out like Danny Cannell one time after a bowl game that they weren't supposed to win and they did and because Danny Cannell said that they weren't going to win. So, like, he he knows what's going on. He might say, I don't care. I better be careful, but he, knows. He'll, he'll, he knows. Yeah, he'll get wind of, of me making fun of his uh, Twitter press conference <laughs> last year. Um, exactly. But that that video that, that Northwestern put out the other day about the fight in Reese Davis's was oh, so, so well done, so, so funny. Good. I love that stuff. It's what college football is all about. We need more of that, like, just kind of, you know, edgy – attitude on social media gets the people going as long as it doesn't cross the line you know kind of like how illinois called out nebraska in that tweet and then deleted it after beating them on saturday thanking them for bringing big 10 football back in a uh, backhanded kind of way i thought there was nothing wrong with it but somebody must have because they uh they took it down eventually after kind of the whole country had seen it i definitely chuckled um i thought it <laughs> i thought it was one of those like okay well well played um you know we know nebraska was very vocal about trying to get the league back and, you know, it allowed for teams like Illinois to go in there and get a win. So I thought it was definitely well played, but to your point, like it's cool to see the social media teams like actually go out and, and have a lot of fun. I want to say Northwestern actually changed their Twitter, Twitter mm -hmm. handle to the fighting Reese Davises. Uh, we've seen Maryland, you know, had the savage stuff. We, we saw Iowa, you know, kind of troll Minnesota after they beat them. So it, it's fun kind of seeing, you know, people bring this energy to that. It makes it more fun that way. Moving on to some actual football talk, H, you know, the, the game of the weekend that everyone's looking forward to, and it pretty much lived up to it. It came down to the final possession was Indiana versus Ohio State. Um, and for a while there, it looked like it was going to be, you know, about a three-score game. Indiana kind of was at arm's length. Um, and they picked off Justin Fields a few times on characteristic out of, out of the Buckeyes. And got right back in it and, and made it a, a one-possession game to the very end. I was a little surprised that Ryan Day didn't kick the field goal to go up two scores um, with about four or five minutes left. But it worked out for Ohio State. So you think Indiana is, uh, you know, finally certified as a top-10 team after that performance? Do you think Ohio State is a little bit vulnerable? Is it a little bit of both? Um, what are your takeaways from that game as we look to the rest of the season now? Yeah, I think it's an all-of-the-above situation. Um, I thought Indiana was good. I thought that they would be able to make plays uh, in the passing game. I mean, their receiver core is legit. Um, you know, we don't talk about Miles Marshall a lot, but, you know, he's a very solid number three guy. Uh, you know, everybody kind of talked about Watt failure coming into the year, but it's actually been Ty Freifogel that's been the guy for them, especially uh, the last three weeks. Um, he's, you know, the first Big Ten player ever with consecutive 200-yard receiving games. Um, and so to do that against Michigan State and Ohio State teams that have been known for defense in the past, um, you know, I think that wowed a lot of people. Uh, the fact that Penix, you know, stayed in there, took a bunch of hits, 
still was able to deliver the ball downfield. So, I mean, some of those throws he made were crazy. I mean, the throw for nearly five bills in the horseshoe, you know, in, in some rainy conditions too, like, you know, it says a lot. And I think Indiana actually had a really good chance to win this game. Um, it didn't look that way when it got to be 35-7, but, you know, they when they would pick fields off, they'd do something, you know, stupid, like they Jamar Johnson picks it off, fumbles it right back. Or like David Ellis, they're going in to score and he fumbles at the five. You know, Indiana had a lot of chances to to win this game, um, especially when they had Ohio State on their heels. Uh, you know, if they if they actually go and score before the half and make it 21-14 and it turns out to be 28-7 instead, it might have been a totally different ball game. I think Indiana really showed how good uh, they are offensively and their scheme. You know, they, they got gashed by Master Teague, so, you know, we have to acknowledge that. But I think that scheme made Justin Fields look really, really normal, and we hadn't really seen that. Yeah, so that was an exciting ending. Um, Ohio State now, you know, kind of has that inside track. They always have to pick the championship game, but that was toughest hurdle, I think, the rest of the way until uh, a potential Northwestern matchup. We'll see. But the weekend also had some other insane endings. Um, we had the, you know, much-discussed Minnesota-Purdue game where Minnesota got a win. We had Michigan-Rutgers, which kept us up late into the evening. A little Big Ten after dark action on Saturday. That was a lot of fun. You know, I thought Valentino Ambrosio was going to be the hero. I don't think you can blame a kicker that was on the soccer team, you know, as recently as, as last season or whatever. He's a walk-on. It's a tough position to put him in from 45. I thought Rutgers should have, you know, Monday morning quarterback here, but should have, instead of kneeling down, tried to get a few more yards for, for their man Valentino there at the end. But uh, it is what it is. I don't think there's anything wrong or anything bad if you're a Rutgers fan to take away from that game. They're battling. If you, if you would have told them that, you know, you – didn't get destroyed by Ohio State. You almost beat Michigan. You almost beat Illinois. Um, and you did beat Michigan State the way that you did. You would take that going into the season. The interest is there. It's picking back up. It's reflecting in social media and the ratings and all that. Uh, people are, are buying into Shiano, and that extends to the fans, not just the players. So uh, what were your takeaways from you know some of those wild finishes this weekend? And what do you think was most significant? Was it the Rutgers win? Uh, was it Minnesota getting back on track a little bit? And um, yeah, I guess I'll just lob it to you, H, for, for the alley. Go ahead and oop it. Um, so I feel like none of those games were going to affect the race in any way. So I think for me, like the most important takeaway was Rondell Moore finally being back on the field. Um, you know, we had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And, you know, he, he, you know, he was questionable. You know, it was the whole, he was, he opted out, he opted back in and he got hurt and we didn't really know what the injury was and we'll see if he plays this week. Okay, he's not going to play. And that song and dance was going on for the whole year. So to finally be able to see him back out there and to be featured as often as he was, I mean, he had 19 targets in his first game back, caught 15 balls, ran a touchdown in. You kind of got to see the explosiveness uh, that was missing. You got to see the combo of him and David Bell, uh, which is probably the best one-two punch in, in the Big Ten when, when both are healthy. Uh, so I, I was happy to see that. Um, I definitely thought Purdue uh, got the short end of the stick on that call. Uh, but, you know, shout out to... Minnesota for figuring out a way to win that game, despite having, you know, over 20 people out with various issues 
Um, assuming some of those are probably COVID related. Uh, but the Michigan Rutgers, I thought was interesting. Uh, obviously, with the with the QB situation in Michigan, we all kind of thought Joe Milton would be the guy coming in, and now K. McNamara seems to have taken that job from him you know, based off his play the last two weeks. And it seems like as soon as he came in, uh, they were down seventeen nothing. The switch got flipped. You know, he provided a spark to the whole team. Michigan returns a kickoff uh, to start the second half, and they just kind of locked it in. I, I was surprised that it actually went to overtime the way that Michigan controlled most of that second half. But again, shout out to Rutgers for, you know, showing the fight that's been missing in the previous few years. Uh, like you said, the, to be close to Michigan, I'll score Ohio State in the second half, beat Michigan State, uh, you know, to push Indiana, to should to push Illinois. You know, they're, they're way, way better than they've been. And I think we just have a lot of good receiver talent in this league whether that's Bo Melton, whether that's Rondell, David Bell, you know, we see Michigan's got Cornelius Johnson, who might be a guy that could be pretty good. You know, Gary Wilson, Alave. It's a lot of good receivers in this league. Yeah, that was something watching Friday night with those four receivers. I mean, I think Bell and Moore and um, Bateman are on another level, but Alvin Bell is pretty, pretty good too for uh, Minnesota. So those four guys were just putting on a, a clinic. And David Bell, you know, we know what Rondell Moore can do. David Bell is, is different, man. Like, he looks like yeah. an NFL receiver out there on uh, college field. Like, his hands just kind of attract the ball magnetically. It's wild. Um, we've seen him kind of win games on his own and, and seal games. And he, I mean, who would have thought when we saw Rondell Moore a couple years ago, there's somebody coming in who, you know, might be better. It's, it's, it's crazy. So, good to see Moore back for sure. Um, I do want to, you know, kind of use those – Endings, especially the Michigan one, and and look ahead to next week a little bit because there are at least three campuses and college towns in the Big Ten right now where the football fans are a little restless. Um, we got Nebraska, like we mentioned. We got Michigan. We haven't talked about Penn State yet. Uh, does that affect your intrigue this weekend coming up with Penn State and Michigan facing off? kind of a, a must win for either team uh, just for morale purposes. And then we got Black Friday back. We thought it was gone last year. I'm pretty sure we talked about that uh, a year ago, but they're uh, facing off with Iowa. And we know Nebraska is not like losing to Iowa and they've, they've done it a lot in the last five, six years. So how does that, uh, you know, color your intrigue heading into this weekend? Yeah. The Black Friday, Nebraska, Iowa is one of the few things that feels normal about 2020. Uh, so I'm glad to see that that's back. Um, you know, that's kind of just turned into a nice little rivalry, even though Iowa's controlled it for the most part recently. I'll definitely be watching that. I'm always a, I'm always a fan of, you know, being completely full and watching little Big Ten football, whether it's a 11 a.m. kick or a 1 p.m. kick as it is uh, this year. Uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to that. Just imagine, though, if Michigan would have lost that game to Rutgers and you have one and four Michigan against 0-5 Penn State, and it's basically like, you know, two car wrecks playing each other and you can't necessarily turn away from it. And I think that might be why ABC got it, because you got the two big brands who are, you know, top 10, 15 brands in the country both struggling and people trying to figure out why that is at least with Michigan they were able to pull off that win you could sell a little bit of hope you know we got the new quarterback might have found a running back Hassan Haskins so I feel like Michigan might have uh 
I haven't figured out a little bit more than the other two. I think for Penn State, I think this is just a lost season. Fryer moves out for the year now. You know, Parsons already opted out to start the year. Journey Brown situation. Uh, I think this is just kind of a lost year altogether for Penn State. But I think Nebraska might be the most surprising. And I say that because we kept hearing about, like, how ready to play they were and, like, Scott Frost coming home and it was the perfect hire and, you know, kind of similar to Jim Harbaugh where you couldn't have found a better guy for this job. And supposedly the weaker division, and they just haven't figured it out. I mean, they can't put two wins together. I mean, they were nearly, what, over two touchdown favorite against Illinois and got completely punked at home. And so they're reeling right now, and they don't have a lot of answers. Yeah, back to the McNamara thing. Um, that was the first time I'd watched Michigan really close to this year, just, just based on – assignments at and our schedule and which games we were watching and I, you know i'd seen some of them but that game completely flipped when mcnamara came in for whatever reason i don't know if they didn't trust milton i don't know if he's incapable of moving the ball but the offense is completely different those receivers um like bell and sanders still you know were completely unleashed and and seemed like michigan was playing really conservative with milton under center so it's at least intriguing i think michigan fans can get up now for the rest of their games of seeing what they got right like the, that's a sliver of hope uh agreed on the nebraska front and Penn State, um, you know, just a lot of things have been weird for Penn State this year, and they got some stuff to straighten out. And and Nebraska, like you said, um, you know, they, they need to show up against Iowa to some degree because um, the fans are, are definitely not pleased right now. Um, the rest of the weekend, I mean, what else we got? We got Rutgers, Purdue. That's kind of interesting. I think that might be the most like intriguing, just. Be a lot unexpectedly of intriguing match yeah matchup it's 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 kind of fun um it'll be like Rutgers is just fun to watch like straight up they make it interesting there's they're good for a couple trick plays every game they play hard uh you know Shano's at least at the very least entertaining to watch on the sideline and, and, and then Purdue like I mentioned with those receivers uh they're a treat as well so that's a good one. Um, I don't know if I want to watch Maryland, Ohio. Indiana, man. Yeah, a lot too. of points in that. Ready to see what Maryland looks like after a couple of weeks off. Looks I like they're going to try to get that game in. They're, they've been practicing earlier in the week, so you know we get to see, you know, little Tua. We get to see Raheem Jarrett. We get to see this offense go up against Indiana. And I kind of want to see if Indiana has a hangover. Is it, you know, we we put it all in this Ohio State game and we didn't win. And we know we can't win the East now. Like, oh, it's Maryland. It's a team we should beat. I'll be curious to see kind of Indiana mentally where are they at in that game. Yeah, that's that's a good uh, good one to bring up because for me, I, I kind of forget about these teams when they go on the COVID list for a couple of weeks, right? Like, it wasn't that long ago Maryland was lighting it up. And mm -hmm. we'll see what the effects are of missing a couple of weeks. But they were, uh, you know, they were really fun to watch. I'm sure they still will be. Uh, after I'm really happy for uh, Talia, like you mentioned to his brother, because after that week one against Northwestern, it was like, man, this is going to be ugly for, mm -hmm. for Maryland this year. But he's turned around. He's an intriguing story. And it's, it's along with like his brother's rise, you know, getting benched aside on Sunday. Uh, both guys kind of emerging has, has been cool to see at their respective levels. So great point there. Um, I, th I think Maryland can make it interesting for sure. At least give Indiana some headaches with that speed and athleticism. Um, I'm not sure I want to watch Ohio State, Illinois. I will uh, probably, you know, it's for me, it's the only thing that's uh, that intriguing about that one is the, the FS1 or Fox crew. It's it's Gus and Joel's first time calling a game 
at Illinois. So, you know, I might run into them at the CVS or something this weekend when I'm, there I'm down there for Thanksgiving. Uh, beyond that, I don't expect the Buckeyes to to have too much trouble, but we'll see if, if Illinois can build on, you know, a couple wins and, and keep it respectable. Yeah, you shocked the world last year at home, right? You know, guys were kind of struggling. 30-point dog pulled it out. You know, Ohio State showing a little vulnerability in that secondary. You know, second halves have been a letdown. You know, maybe if Illinois keeps it close for a half, maybe they get some confidence. In all seriousness, it's fun to see, you know, them them take on the Buckeyes once in a while. It doesn't happen every year anymore, uh, but they have that, that trophy game. So, uh, you know, it'll yeah, be a nice little thing to wake up to and, and get ready for some hoops on, on Saturday because – we got plenty of it coming up. Um, I don't know. Is there any other football you want to talk, or should we keep moving to hoops? Got a, got a lot of uh, a lot of games coming up, and, and a handful of them are interesting. Yeah, we do. Um, I, I think lastly, just on the football side, you know, I think you know last week was kind of a separation week, and I'd be very very surprised if we don't get Ohio State, Northwestern, and Indy um, at the end here, which is for which would be the second time in three years that we've had that matchup. I think something drastic will have to happen for those uh two teams not to meet up uh but i'm telling you watch out for northwestern man they got a chance to get in that game undefeated and if they do i'd be really curious to see where they're ranked oh yeah it's not even like two years ago where i don't think anyone really felt northwestern had that great of a shot to win i still think ohio state is the you know pretty solid favorite but just with the way that ohio state's looked a little vulnerable that we talked about and how confident swaggy Northwestern has looked they got an emerging star and RCB out there out wide a really competent quarterback and just the overall defense you know Fitz has been making sure to shout out that defense and the coordinator and the staff and all that uh they deserve a lot of respect for what's what's happened this year so um you know we poke fun at the Reese Davis thing but it's 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 uh you know shaping up to be a really memorable season there um so let's let's Keep moving then to hoops before we wrap up, Harold. What are you looking at heading into the first week of the season? We won't really talk ACC Big Ten Challenge, even though, like, unbelievably, that's less than two weeks away. Um, let's let's keep it locked on some of the early, early marquee non-conference games, um, assuming they will be played. What do you got your eyes on? I know your your Spartan dogs have a couple uh, big ones right off the right off the jump here. Yeah, um, I th- and I'm glad you said uh, if they get played because we got a lot of news on Monday. Um, there's just a lot of moving parts in this thing and we haven't even started yet. And so, you know, Tennessee had to pause activities because Rick Barnes uh, got COVID. You know, Izzo already had COVID. He's back. Duke had to cancel their game, uh, their opener this week. And Michigan State's supposed to play down there next Tuesday. So, you know, I feel like that's a little that's a little dicey. Uh, we got cases in South Dakota. You know, it's a big rise there. I believe Iowa Gonzaga was supposed to be there. So it's just a lot of moving parts right now. It's a lot of uncertainty, which is just so rare. Like you know, we can normally just point at all of the holiday tournaments, and you know, Ohio State's here, and Illinois is there, and Michigan State's here. But right now, I feel like we don't even know like who's gonna play who. Like you know, we're still waiting on. Minnesota, like they, I don't even know if they have their opponent yet for this weekend. Like there's just so much that's still going on. Um, I do think it's interesting Michigan State and they get Notre Dame and Duke like within a four or five day span to kind of get things started. 
they don't necessarily ease into the to a schedule like this. You guys um, got three ACC teams in like a week, yeah, like, or a week and a half. Yeah, it's That's it's wild. crazy. Um, and it's not like you get a lot of the games where you can play your directional school or you get to play, you know, some school that's, you know, 300 in RPI or whatever to kind of get your feet wet. You're basically getting a bunch of good non-conference games and 20 conference games. There's not a lot of room for error. Uh, so you guys got to be ready to play and got to be ready to play early. And, you know, you don't really have that wiggle room that you might have had in the past. So guys need to go out and, and get big wins because this conference is brutal, as we've talked about, seven top 25 teams. So don't lose don't lose not conference games you're supposed to win. Feels like AAU kind of, you know, just roll the ball out. The other team shows up. You know, I heard they were stuck in traffic. You know, might have to, <laughs> might have to just <laughs> pack it up, go back to the hotel and play the next day, you know, and yep. defense might be a little suspect, might be a little rusty at first. I think it's just like kind of the AAU uh, non-conference season here. Exactly. I want to say your your guys get what three games in a row all of this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and it's interesting because you mentioned kind of the uncertainty, and and there are two marquee matchups. The the big ones, Baylor and Duke, both have had some uh, COVID headlines lately. Scott Drew, like you said, uh, testing positive, so that's kind of up in the air right now. And then Duke's opponent. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but I know they were they, they were uh, having a game called off right off the bat. So you hope those two can be played because those are you know two. I mean Baylor's the number two team in the country, so two top right. ten or so matchups. Duke's right around uh, the top ten as well. Um, another one I was looking at, you know, without the Gavit games this year, there's not a whole lot of Big East Big Ten crossover, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. But uh, Indiana Providence, I believe, is is coming up this weekend. Good um, too. That's kind of unique. I'm interested to see what Indiana's got this year because. They should be. They're kind of flying under the radar nationally, I think. They should be pretty decent. Yeah, I feel like they're flying under the radar in the Big Ten because we've got, you know, seven, you know, half of the league is ranked. And Indiana's not one of them, which is really, really weird to say, uh, considering, you know, they're one of the flagship programs in this conference. But, uh, you know, I think it's a big year for Archie and, and you get Trace Jackson Davis back. I mean, you know, a lot of people are expecting big things from him. He's, he's a first team all Big Ten talent. Uh, I mean, we'll see if they can, if he can kind of carry them back to the tournament. All right. Any other overarching hoops thoughts, H, as we get set here? We had a big preview with Mike DeCourcy. So um, at risk of repeating and, and going in depth, uh, you know, you don't have to get get too, uh, you know, too precise with it. But I'm just really excited to see, you know, obviously the the two, as Tim Miles put it on, on Kenny Bell's show, yesterday uh you know kind of the 80s powers in illinois and iowa going at it at the top um you know wisconsin's going to be i just think kind of a, a villainous team nationally just by their nature you know a lot of seniors a lot of not no one real star and then brad davison just gets a lot of a lot of flack regardless from uh you know whenever we put some on twitter it, it just gets into the the bloodstream of of the college basketball world. And, you know, he, he's just run people the wrong way with his charges. So that'll be fun to, to see the reaction all year. Um, who else we got? I mean, obviously Michigan state, I think is feeling a little slighted by those three teams ahead of them, getting, getting picked pretty much universally ahead of them. And like we said, I see Indiana, Rutgers, man. Rutgers with expectations. Yeah. Purdue. Expecting them to be good now to live up to it. Mm-hmm. Rutgers will be a lot of fun to watch. How do you think they'll be? I'm, I, I think they'll be, you know, the, the, the novelty's kind of worn off because 
they kind of arrived last year. They didn't get their tournament moment, so that's you know that that's something still to shoot for. Uh, but I just think they're just going to be a, a really solid team. Nobody looks at Rutgers anymore and, and is like, oh, that's a W. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I'll be really curious to see what happens with Rutgers this year because so much of their year last year was how good they were at the rack mm-hmm. and how tough the rack was to play at. And, you know, they only lost one home game all year, but, you know, they, they beat Seton Hall badly. They blew Maryland out there. Uh, but, you know, if there's no fans at the rack, you know, how is that? You know, home court advantage is, is is it nearly the same as it was a year ago? And Rutgers really, really struggled on the road for most of the year. Um, I want to see now that they've kind of been through a gauntlet like this with good with a lot of good players returning. Can they can that experience now help them win games away from the rack that they probably wouldn't have won before? Um, I, I definitely hope they make the tournament. They were kind of robbed of that a year ago. Um, it would have been awesome to see them, you know, run out with the NCAA patch on their uniform, uh, something we hadn't seen in 30 years. So I'm definitely rooting for them to get there this year. Got to shoot the ball, be able to do yeah, that. Got to um, shoot the ball. Yeah, that'll be big for them. Uh, Michigan and Ohio State are those two teams we're kind of sleeping on. I feel like Michigan is universally um, maybe a notch above Ohio State in the predictions this year. Holtman, I think we kind of thought would would be at this level or higher after his first couple of seasons. Um, there's yeah. been some turnover on, this, on the roster there. How are we feeling about kind of these middle of the pack to potentially, you know, top six or so Big Ten team? Yeah, I think Michigan's going to be interesting. Having Livers uh, decide to come back after testing the waters is big. Um, I still think he's not like a, a one for them. I think Wagner will turn into that. Um, I think he's kind of got all of the swag that his brother has. And if his game starts to match that, uh, we saw, you know, flashes of it a year ago, but if it becomes more consistent, I think he can, you know, certainly make a difference. He's all, he's a first team Big Ten talent as well. Uh, so I'd be curious to see, you know, if he can elevate that. And we've seen Xavier Simpson kind of be the leader of that team for three years and so much of, you know, Michigan's offense revolved around him and, and ball screens and him, you know, leading the conference and assists and stuff like that. And now it's going to be completely different. Uh, they're getting a, a Wake Forest transfer in to help them out. And Ohio State, obviously, with Seth Towns transferring in from Harvard, you know, the fact that both teams are kind of relying on transfers to, to help them out, I think, uh, is an interesting parallel. Absolutely. Yeah. Shawnee Brown, right, is the Michigan one. Um yeah, so I can't wait for it. Uh, I'm going to have to, like, especially at home, at my house house where I'm going, like, TV setup is not great. It's it, I almost need to go to Black Friday shopping or something to, to fix this because I'm not going to be able to, to flip fast enough between football and basketball this weekend. So I hope you have a better setup than me, at least. Uh, I won't say setup, per se, uh, but it's not bad. It's certainly not bad. Um, now, I'll have to – I don't know if fight is the word, but – uh, my father-in-law definitely likes the sports as well. Uh, so I know we'll, we'll both be watching stuff all weekend. Um, unfortunately, like for work, I'll be watching a lot of football, even though I should be watching some basketball. Uh, so trying to find a balance there, flipping back and forth, you know, my, my thumb's going to get a big workout hitting that last button a bunch of times. And, uh, maybe I have to have the volume up on another TV to kind of hear it in the background while I'm watching another one. 
Uh, that part's always challenging, but hey, you know, there's a lot worse things. Last question. Do we have anyone in Maui? Because I, I know I went to Asheville. What's going on there? Uh, I thought Indiana was supposed to be out there. I did too. Um, but if but I hadn't the Browns, heard the latest on, on the maybe that's a Maybe that's a Maui game. Could be. Could be. Yeah, um, I, don't yeah, I hadn't heard the latest on that one yet. Um, but again, I, I feel really, really bad for those who were supposed to be in Atlantis and Maui. And you're thinking you're going to be on the beach and, you know, you get a week to just kind of you play. But then when you're done, you can kind of hang out and enjoy everything. And now you don't get a chance to do that. OK, so that is the Maui Invitational. Mm -hmm. I just looked it up. Yeah. So Indiana is, you know, they have potentially a few intriguing matchups coming up, depending on how they do uh, in that Providence game. Yeah, the Asheville Invitational. Yeah. Uh, hey, like we talked about earlier, Asheville's nothing. It's nothing. It's not a uh, it's no slouch of a town. But no, no, like you said, is not the same uh, mind, not right. high enough. No. So, <laughs> all right, H. Um, appreciate you jumping on. No appreciate problem. you, you know, taking some time out of this week. It's a lot, I know, but uh, you know, safe and happy Thanksgiving to you. We'll be same back at you. it soon enough, either to uh, you know, preview some preview or put a bow on Big Ten ACC challenge. We'll be back soon enough, and um, looking forward to diving into college hoops. You know, it's my favorite. Oh, yeah. It's, it's my favorite, too. I uh, definitely enjoy it. And I think our teams are going to finish 1-2 in the Big Ten. And who's, I know that might not be too popular, but I got to see Iowa actually guard somebody for 20 games. And I think Wisconsin benefited from a, a somewhat unbalanced schedule to make the run that they did. So I'm going with, with Illinois and Michigan State in some order to win the league. Yeah, I don't disagree, and I'll I'll leave it at that. I'll let, I'll let Brent Urena take heat for his predictions. He, he puts his predictions out there like – in the public Twitterverse, and uh, I'm like, that's a no-win thing. No. Brent, like, but <laughs> shout out to him for having the courage to do that and uh, expose himself to all the, the fan bases and their their slander. So, um, I, I will I will agree with you though that the one two is is uh, how I see it shaking out as well. So, great minds think alike. I hope it turns right. out that way. All right, man. Take care. Talk Happy Thanksgiving. You too. All right. Thanks once again to Harold. Mike Corsi for joining the show. Appreciate everyone tuning in, fitting this into a busy time of year. Hopefully, you know, you can pop it in during your travel, your drive to wherever you're going for Thanksgiving or your uh, meal prep or doing the dishes. You know, I feel like even during the holidays when podcasts tend to kind of get buried, there are windows and pockets to, to fit it into your routine uh, maybe your your run trying to run off some of those those calories from thursday's meal on a on friday morning something like that so hope you guys get a chance to tune in and i hope uh you know continue to do so it's easier to do that if you subscribe to the show on any of our platforms let me list those out real quick we got apple podcasts uh, i believe google play is now google podcasts so Migrate on over there if you're a, an Android person like myself. You got Podbean, you got your Spotify. It's pretty much everywhere podcasts can be found. And then also we are on YouTube as well. These interviews are on video. If you want to uh, see our faces, do that on Big Ten Network YouTube channel. There is a Take 10 podcast playlist. So make sure you're subscribing to the Big Ten Network YouTube channel for everything we put on there. A lot of good stuff, um, including the Take 10 and on the Bench podcast. Shout out Mike Hall with his... Uh, podcast he's got a few episodes in the bank on already so 
uh, podcast network is growing a big 10 network um, definitely don't miss out all right we'll wrap it up here thanks to julie bronder for stitching it together on a holiday week i hope everyone has a great thanksgiving great healthy and safe holiday and enjoys watching plenty of big 10 football and basketball we'll talk about it all very soon and um, we'll see you next time here on the take 10 podcast